When Father, you heard the prayer and song, I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour, Father. And we come saying the same thing on our knees now. Lord, we're about to open the word, and we realize that of our natural selves, we cannot understand the deep things of God. So we ask now for the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is the only effectual teacher of truth. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, and we claim the merits of his holy and most precious blood. Amen. Amen. So last night, we began to go through the subject matter, the blood sacrifice. So of course, didn't finish the subject, at least in my mind. I didn't get to where I wanted to go. So this morning, we're going to kind of pick up from where we left off last night in regards to the blood sacrifice and the blood applied. Now, I don't know. Most of you seem to may have been students in medical school or some type of health stuff, right? Maybe. If that's the case, I'm just going to ask the question. You can just... Shouted back to me, tell me, what is the purpose or what does blood do? And I'm a simple, simple, I'm a simple man. Give me a simple answer. All right, so it carries oxygen, right? It carries oxygen. What else does it do? It, it brings nutrients. Is that right? What else does it do? What else does blood do? It cleanses, right? So it does all these, these factors, these beautiful things that you and I didn't make happen. God orchestrated that. Is that right? So we began last night talking about the war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought against his angels and prevailed not. And they were cast out. And we saw that Lucifer had a big issue. And the issue with Lucifer was that he had an eye problem. Right? He had a huge eye problem. He wanted to ascend. He wanted to exalt himself above God. And so we saw this issue with Lucifer, and we made the application because it's not just Lucifer that has this problem. Right? We made the application that really I have the same issue. I have the same issue. In fact, we saw that Lucifer began to worship the blessings of God over the God of the blessings. There are many in this room. I can just tell by looking at you, you are a blessed people. And sometimes we worship God because we're blessed. Because we have the money or the cars or the education or the wife or the child, we worship God because we have these things. But what if those things were taken away? What if your beauty was gone? What if your intelligence was lessened? What if the respect that you gained from your peers because of your education would away? Would you still serve God? The reality is, let's be real. The answer is no. I mean, let's be real. The Bible says the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked above all things who can know it. Is that right? So is that somebody else's heart or is that my heart? That's my heart. My heart is like that. My heart is desperately wicked. My heart does not want God. So we see this character, Lucifer, but his characteristics are played out every day in our interactions with each other. We saw that Lucifer was a liar. And we saw that if you lie, you hate. And if you hate, you're a murderer. And the Bible says that Lucifer was a murderer from the very beginning. I wonder, and we asked the question, how many of, of us have murdered with our tongues? How many of us have done character assassinations or loved that little gossip that we, we love to take in so nicely every once in a while in the, the Adventist circles? How many of us live off of the gossip and words of other people? The answer is, that's a lot of us. And the Bible says, if you are a liar, you are a murderer, you are a hater. So that's a problem. And we saw that the only solution to that was beholding Jesus. Is that right? I say my favorite quotation of all the quotations that I've ever memorized is from the book Education, page 192. It says, as the student of the Bible beholds the Redeemer, there's awakened in the soul the mysterious power of faith, adoration and love. Upon the vision of Christ, the gaze is fixed and behold, it grows into the one that he adores. Isn't that beautiful? The quote's very simple, but it's profound because the reality is, in me there is no good thing. But as I behold him, he creates in me what I don't have. That's the beauty of it. But today we're going to continue this study, and we're going to take the war from heaven, and we're going to come down to planet Earth. Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, and now we're going to begin reading at verse number 26. In Genesis chapter 1, and we're reading now 
at verse 26. Please notice what the Bible says. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, the Bible says, And God said, Let us make man in what, my friends? Our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowls of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. So I'm going to ask you a very basic question, a very simple question, not a trick question in any way, shape, or form, but I need to pay attention to the question. I give you one word. You only have one word, you have one chance. One word to describe God. You only have one word and one chance to do it. What word would you use to describe God? Love. That's a good answer. In fact, 1 John 3, 4 says... God is what? Okay, now let's read the scripture text again in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. And we're going to use the word love to describe what he's creating because man was created in his image. Is that right? Genesis 1, 26 again, the Bible says, and love said, let us make man in the image of love. After our likeness and let love have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth. And over every creeping thing that creepeth on the earth. So love created love in his own image. And in the image of love created he, him, male and female. So in the beginning, God, when he made man, he made him in the image of love. And love is what had dominion over all created things. Love is what had dominion over all the creatures, over all the air. It had, it had, everything was under this dominion. But now just think for a half a second. If love had dominion and now presently love is not in dominion, what is the effect of love not controlling the world? Just look at our world. Right now you feel comfortable, safe. Everybody feel safe? Yeah, you feel safe right now. You're sitting here, you're chilling. You're all right. You, You feel comfortable. You don't know and understand that it's only by the mercy of God that some gunman doesn't come in here and shoot all of us up. Anybody listening? So it's so far from us. You know, it's over there in Paris. It's over there in France. It's over there in in the Middle East somewhere. But it's not here. So we're comfortable. And because we're comfortable, our Christianity isn't real. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We're comfortable. It's cool right now. It's okay right now to come to Advent Hope. It's safe right now. But the Christianity, when challenged, that's when it's demonstrated. When tempted and trying, that's when you know whether or not you actually have an anchor in the man Jesus Christ. Right now, the world does not have love as its dominion. There has been a shift. There has been a change. Genesis chapter 3. Notice what the Bible says now. In Genesis chapter 3, we, we now go forward and see where the shift or change took place. In Genesis chapter 3, now we're reading at verse number 1. The Bible says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, have God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God have said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye, what's it say? And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day that ye eat thereof, your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the one saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one, to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband, and he did eat. My friends, verse 6 is a change of authority. You see, when Adam and Eve, when Adam took that fruit, knowing that God said, don't touch or eat this fruit. When Adam took the fruit and he ate the fruit, the Bible says in Romans 6, 16, know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey his servants, ye are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. What does that mean? It means very simply, if God is on this side and the devil's on this side and God says, go this way, go left. And you say, I'm going to go right. In that moment that you've decided to go right, you are now under the dominion of the devil. Sometimes I ask God, why is he so merciful to me? You ever ask that? 
If you never ask that, you don't understand the grace of God. Me, I, I ask God all the time, God, why are you so merciful to me? Why do you bear with me so long? I know so much, but I don't do what I know all the time. I know it's me. So why do you bear so long? What, what is it that you see in me that you want to keep coming after me and bring me back? But just realize and understand that when you choose to disobey God's word, though you may feel safe, you are not safe. Though you may not feel the wrath of God or the anger of God, thunderbolts coming down and killing you, you are not safe. What's happening is the devil's playing you. Hear me. He's playing you. So what it is, you, you compromise once, you don't come back, he pulls you out a little bit further, you don't come back, he pulls you a little bit further, and then one day you wake up and you don't realize, how is it that I don't believe in God anymore? Well, that's happened, especially here in California. That's happened. People one time believing, I mean, staunch, I believe in the sanctuary, I believe in Jesus, I believe he's divine, and next minute, I don't believe in God at all. What causes a man to, to move from this direction to follow God and then all of a sudden turn his back and now not only not believe, but become an enemy of the cross? My friends, the issue is very simple. It's very plain. You cannot serve two masters. You can't say I love God and at the same time rebel and spit in his face. It's impossible. So we see here Adam and Eve giving their loyalty now to another giving their loyalty to another ruler and another king. So now mankind, no longer in the image of love, has taken on the image of a creature. No one's listening. No longer in the image of love, that's divine, pure holiness, undefiled. Now they have the image of a creature. Why? Because they are obeying a creature instead of the creator. But let's go a little bit further. The Bible tells us in Hebrews, go to Hebrews very quickly. Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, and now we're going to begin reading at verse number 7. Pay close attention. In Hebrews chapter 2, beginning at verse 7, the Bible says, Thou madest him, speaking of man, thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor. Question, who wears crowns? Kings, queens, princes, princesses, royalty. Is that right? So when mankind was made, he was made as royalty. In fact, you know that from Genesis chapter 1 because it said, let him have dominion. Right? Over the fish of the sea and over the fowls of the air and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Watch carefully now. Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him. What is he crowned with? Glory and honor. And didst set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. Pay attention. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him, but now we see yet not all things put under him. Okay, King James Version, what in the world does that mean? <laughs> so when mankind was created, and I'm going to, oh, I need something to stand on. Here we go. When mankind was created, he was made in the image of God. And when he's made in the image of God, he had dominion. And that meant that when he had dominion, everything in creation was under his feet. That's what the text says. Then the text says, but we don't see all things under his feet. Meaning that he's lost dominion. He's lost the right to rule. Does everybody follow that? So we were made in the image of God. We were made to have dominion. We were made to rule. We were made to look like our creator and function in the role as his representative on this planet. But we have lost the position of rulership and leadership because we have decided that we don't want to be under God's rule. Pay attention, because the idea is very simple. I, I said it last night, and I'm going to say it in different ways right now. But you see, we can be home already. My, my mind, for years, years, I, you know, I grew up in the Adventist culture, you know, pretty much born on a pew. <laughs> pretty much born on a pew. So for years now, I was 
perplexed because I'm like, okay, we go to church on Saturday. I don't care. I mean, my friends go to church on Sunday. What's the big deal? It's not a big deal. What's the big deal? Then it was like, okay, they said, this is what people were telling me, like, okay, we have to preach the gospel to the world. I'm thinking that, well, we have to preach the gospel to the world. I'm like 12 years old when I'm processing this. So if we have to preach the gospel to the world, and I'm looking at the church members, and I'm saying this is not going to get done. That's what my 12-year-old mind was processing. Like, this doesn't make any sense. There must be something more here. There must be something I'm missing. In order for the gospel to be preached to the world, there has to be people that preach the gospel. But it's not just a preaching. There must be a demonstration. Listen, if in this room right here, if just, if just a few of you, it doesn't have to be everybody, if just a few of you would join the team, and here's what the team has to do. The team, your job for just for the rest of your life, simple job, your main focus and your main thoughts should be of Jesus and what he's doing in the heavenly sanctuary. Look, if you just did that, I promise you it wouldn't be more than a few years to be off this planet. Because the secret is in the beholding. See, he is our he is our example. He is the one that shows us what we are supposed to be like. So it's simple in my mind. It's just very basic. Can I find Jesus? Can I fix my eyes on where he is? And whatever distraction that are trying to take it away from me, I remove them. Whether it be boyfriend, girlfriend, whether it's school, job, remove the distractions. Find my source. Find my source. And the reality is, listen, some of us don't like studying the Bible. You know why? Because you're not beholding Jesus. It's okay not to like to study the Bible. You know why? Because that's what we're supposed to be without Christ. It's okay to love worldly music. You know why? Because that's what it's supposed to be when you don't have Jesus. You're supposed to love worldly music. You're supposed to want to go to the club. That's what you're supposed to do because your natural man does not desire God. In fact... Just so you can see what I'm saying in the Bible, go with me to Romans, the eighth chapter. Romans, the eighth chapter. My job is to make sure that we're real when we leave this room. Romans, the eighth chapter, beginning at verse number one. Pay close attention. Romans, the eighth chapter, beginning at verse one, the Bible says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after what? The spirit for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law cannot do in that it was weak through the flesh. God sending his own son, his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. Why? Why did he do this? Watch the text. Watch the text. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who walk not after the flesh, but after what? Huh. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. For they who are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. Hold your hand right here. Go to the book of Galatians. So we can mark out clearly what the things of the flesh are. Galatians chapter 5. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 19. Galatians chapter 5 beginning at verse number 19. Notice again what the Bible says in Galatians chapter five, beginning at verse number 19. Again, this is what you're supposed to do if the spirit of God is not inside of you. If Christ is not your ruler, this is what's supposed to happen. Now, the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. What are they? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. Now, lasciviousness is just this perversion. All right. Sexual perversion, lasciviousness. It goes on. Idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations. Now, what's variance, emulation? Emulations is competition. No one's listening. Wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murderers, drunkenness and revelings and such like of which I tell you before, as I also told you in time past, that they which do such things will go to heaven. That's not what it says. Hold on. Hold on. Just just make sure. Just make sure you're with me. 
that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So here, here. So we've been getting played, and this is how I see it. There's this mindset within Christianity now that at some level it's okay to sin. At some level, it's, I mean, it's expected of us because we're human. Is that right? And we are. We are human. Very much so. I mean, to the bone. To the bone, we are human. But the Bible says that you are what? A new creature. A new creature. All things are what? Pass away. Behold, all things become what? All right. So I'm in a room with um, some medical professionals just and then some regular folks. We got regular folks in here like me. So let's just use this as an example. I come to the hospital and um, I'm bleeding profusely from my right leg. And it's a, it's a wound. It's, fair, it's fairly deep. And the doctor comes out and says he doesn't want to hurt my feelings. What he wants to do is, brother, I don't want you to be offended. I don't want you to get scared or anything. I'm going to give you a Band-Aid to cover the deep flesh wound because I don't want to offend you. I want you to feel comfortable would that doctor be allowed to practice going forward? What, what do they call that type of practice? A malpractice. Bad practice. Is that right? There are ministers standing in the pulpit offering band-aids today. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We have deep flesh wounds, friends. Have you ever sat and thought about your life? I just want you to think about it. Sometimes we don't want to think about it, so what we do, we distract ourselves from thinking about it. So we start watching TV, we play video games, whatever we got to do to distract the reality of what I got to deal with. So what is your life? Tell me. You don't have to tell me, but tell him. What is your life? Think about it. All the things that you've done in your life. What is it? What is it composed of? What is the purpose of your being? Why did you do the things that you've done? Why did you hurt the people that you hurt? Why are you still mad at somebody from back in the day when they did something to you when you were a child? Why are you holding on to these things when the the master physician says, I can heal you from the inside out, no matter how deep the wound? Some people rather have a Band-Aid than to admit that they have a flesh wound, a deep, a deep wound. So the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these and it lists them. And none of these people get into heaven. Go to 1 Corinthians. Look at what the Bible says in verse number 9. As if Paul didn't say it enough already. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not, what does it say? Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate. That's homosexuality, nor abusers of themselves of mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. There is no gray area there, my friends. If practiced on any level, whether in your heart or in reality in the outward world, if you practice these things, heaven is not our home. You see, mankind, when he was first created, was created in the image of God. And God has a plan to restore glory and honor back to mankind. That's the plan of salvation. That is what he's trying to accomplish. It's not simply me preaching and apologetic to convince somebody that the seventh day is the Sabbath. That is not the game plan. Let me repeat so you can understand. The game plan is not so I can go over to a a mission field and just do missionary work. And that's going to finish it. What's going to finish it is what Hebrews. Go back to Hebrews. So you can see God has a plan. And Hebrews. Not all things are under his feet. But look at verse number nine. In Hebrews chapter two, beginning at verse number nine. Notice what the Bible says. It says in Hebrews two, verse nine. But we see what's his name. Do you know, do you know, this is so powerful, friends. I was reading in a, in a book called Port of Ministry. It says, when you say the name of Jesus with reverence, that angels draw near to soften heart. So I taught my missionaries that very simple principle. And they went to one home. And it's a true story. They went to one home. The lady came out and she was snapping. I mean, she was going off. And the student said, ma'am, Jesus loves you. You know, the lady's face just went whoosh. 
just. And she started putting her hands to the girl's head. She says, you're an angel. I'm like, whoa, this works. You say the name of Jesus with reverence that angels draw near to that sacred name. There's something in that name, friends. There's meaning behind that name, the name of Jesus. You know that song, sweet name, dear name. There's no other name like Jesus. You know that song? Hebrews 2, verse 9. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels. Now, wasn't that man's thing? Man was made a little lower than the angels. Now Jesus is made a little lower than the angels. It says, for the suffering of death. Now, in some translation it says, but we see Jesus, who was made a little while lower than the angels. When it talks about mankind, it was saying mankind was made a little while lower than the angels. That's interesting. Side note. But watch what it says. Why was he made lower than the angels, according to the verse? For the suffering of what? Death. Crowned with glory and honor. Now watch this. That he, by the grace of God, should taste death for how many men? Now, again, I'm not like Jesus. Do you understand that God knows the end from the beginning? So he sees the span of everything that's going to transpire. And the text just said that he died for every man. That means he knows who's going to accept them and who's not going to accept them. And he still suffered for those who won't accept him. Now, my mind says, I wouldn't suffer for people if I knew they were going to reject me. I wouldn't do it. I can't even stand people who don't like me. I mean, literally, I just, look, we don't have to be around each other. We don't have, there ain't got to be no issues. We, we don't have to talk. But Jesus is so much above me, so much greater than I am. So he knows the end from the beginning. He knows who's going to accept him and who's not. He doesn't dictate who does that, but he knows it. But he still dies for them. Do you understand that? That's love. That's love. To me, that's baffling love. And willingly, purposely dies for mankind. Look at what the Bible says going on. For it became him, verse 10, for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing, watch this now, in bringing many sons unto what? Ooh. So remember, not all things are under their feet. So what does he want to do? He wants to restore man back to glory. He wants to restore men back to the place of rulership and ownership. But you can't be restored back to rulership and ownership unless you reflect him in his image, the image of love. Now, I think about this often, you know, because I look at Jesus and I look at how he was treated. Now, Jesus didn't do anything wrong. He respected everybody, man, woman, boy and girl. He went about healing, teaching, preaching. The best storyteller ever. The kindest God you can possibly imagine walking in flesh. The Bible says in John 1, 1, John 1, verse 14. And the word was made. What does it say? This is what he put on, guys. He put on flesh, real human flesh. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and the perfect combination of grace and truth. Now, listen carefully. If any preacher only preaches about the grace of God, he is not preaching about the glory. And if any preacher only preaches about truth, 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 he's not preaching about the glory of God. God's character is combination of truth and perfectly blended together. In fact, I don't know if you know this, and I am not an artist in any way, shape, or form, but just for the sake of, you know, trying to follow along here. So this is my sanctuary. All right, this is a satellite view. Yep. Nope. We got some, this is not to, you know, one time I was doing this and a guy came to me after, Brother Waller, that was not to dimension. I'm like, I know, bro. (laughs) 
I know. So, right, so you are very familiar with this imagery here. This is the altar of what? Very good. This is the what? Labor. This is the what? Table of showbread. What about this here? Altar of incense. This? Yeah, I know I was missing that. And then this here? Ark of the Covenant. So now we know that at Calvary, did Jesus deserve to die? Yes or no? So why did he die? For our sins. So right. So at Calvary, we find grace for us. But we saw, we find justice or truth at Calvary as well, because someone had to die. Is that right? So at Calvary, we find grace and uh, truth. Now, in the sanctuary, you also have this idea of grace and truth. What is this uh, top lid of the, the Ark of the Covenant called? So you find mercy or another word for mercy is grace. So you find mercy there. And then underneath that lid, according to Psalms 119, I think it's 146, it says that the Ten Commandments are truth. So in the sanctuary, in the outer court, you have the the cross where grace and truth have met each other. They have kissed each other. And in the most holy place, you also have grace and truth. Now, if this was to proportion and it is not, (laughs) if I were to draw this line right here, and I draw a straight line, and I were to fold this one on top of the other, the Ark of the Covenant and the altar of sacrifice would meet exactly in the same place. Did you know that? This is a reflection of this. What you see at Calvary is glorified in the most holy place. Why does grace and truth have to be together? Notice what the Bible says. Go with me to Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 6. Proverbs chapter 16, and notice what the Bible says in verse number six. They must both be together, for this is the glory of God, the person of God. And God wants to restore man back to glory. In Proverbs chapter 16, verse number six, notice what the Bible says. Proverbs 16, verse six, the Bible says, by mercy and truth, iniquity is what? So you need both in order for there to be a cleansing under 2300 days then shall the sanctuary be what you can't have a cleansing unless you have grace and uh, truth they must be together united i i use this illustration all the time it's very basic but my daughter gets it and she's eight so i figure everybody else should get it so it's very simple we have a dog on this side of the room the dog is extremely sick it's dying it has no way to live And so you walk in the room and you realize the truth. The dog is going to die unless it gets food. So what you go, you go to the dog and you say, dog, you're going to die unless you get food. Tell me, does that help that dog? It doesn't help that dog? Why not? Why doesn't it help that dog? I mean, hey, this dog is sick and dying. It can't do anything about what you just said. So what you need to do as a gracious Christian with the truth in reality is bring the dog some food. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You see a problem. You see a problem in the church. And you want to stand up and you want to say, the church is in apostasy. <laughs> and yes, in many levels, it has gone astray from what God has asked it to do. But the real reformer will take the food to the people that need it. Are you hearing what I'm saying? A real reformer will take the food to the people that need it. It will dwell amongst them, my friends. It will not seek to separate. It will seek to figure out how can I, in the midst of the people, be among the people so that they can receive what they need. This is the glory of God, the character of God, the person of God, going amongst his own creation and his own creation denying him. I'm telling you, I'm not God. You know, you're blessed people for me not to be God. Look at what the Bible says. I want you to see this. I want you to go to Isaiah, the 53rd chapter. I want you to see it. Look carefully. Isaiah, the 53rd chapter. And this is something that all of us should have memorized, locked in our minds. Isaiah 53, beginning at verse 1, the Bible says, Who have believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no, what does it say? 
He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men and men of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely, listen now, surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our what? Does it say that he only bore our sins? Does it say that? It says that he bore our griefs. Even the sadness and the struggles and the pains that we go through presently, he himself bears in his body. The Bible goes on. Surely he was born on Greece and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted, but he was wounded for everyone else's transgressions. You mean you have transgressions? He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our, what does it say? Tell me, what is iniquity? It's sin, but it's a different, it's a level. What type of sin is this? This is a sin where you know you know you're doing the wrong thing and you're going to do it anyway. This is when you, you know the Holy Spirit said, don't do this. And you said, God, I'll be back. Just be ready to forgive me when I'm done. It's that type of sin. Surely he had borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are what? Does it just say we're forgiven? What does healing mean? Isn't that what you guys are here for? You come to school to help restore people. Is that right? You come to school to learn how to help the, the, the body restore or come back to the way it is supposed to function. By his stripes, we are healed. We are not to remain in our sins. You see, I take this as God promising something. You know, we read last night about the man Abraham. And Abraham was introduced, or God introduces himself. Go to Genesis 17, verse 1. Go to Genesis 17, verse 1. God introduces himself. To Abraham. And when he introduces himself to Abraham, he does this on purpose, just like he introduces himself to each of the seven churches. He does his introduction because in his introduction, he provides the solution. Notice what the Bible says. And when Abraham was 90 and nine years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am almighty God Walk before me and be thou what? So the last part of the sentence is impossible. Walk before God and be perfect. That is naturally in your genetic makeup not possible. Obeying God is not possible in your genetic makeup. You do not have the ability to obey God. You don't have the desire to even keep his commandments and fulfill that desire. It's not in you. Except he puts it there. I want to read this to you. This is what I was looking for last night. Christ Object Lessons, page 332, paragraph 4. Now, watch this. Pay close attention. The heavenly intelligences will work with the human agent who seeks with determined faith that perfection of character which will reach out to perfection in action. I'll read it one more time. The heavenly agencies, which are the angels, the Holy Spirit, God, the heavenly agencies will work with the human agent who seeks with determined effort. Why would anybody have to be determined? Because it's hard. Is that right? You have to persevere. There's a fight. There's a struggle. There, there is a wrestling going on. The heavenly agencies will work with the human agent who seeks with determined faith that perfection of character which will reach out it to perfection in action. To everyone, to everyone engaged in this work, Christ says, I am at your right hand to help you. Amen? Amen. Watch this now. As the will of man. We, I heard a little conversation about the will this morning. I wanted to raise my hand, but I was like, I'm going to preach. I have the whole time. As the will of man, 
cooperates with the will of God. Watch this now. This blew my mind when I read this part. As the will of man cooperates with the will of God, it, the will, becomes omnipotent. Tell me, what does omnipotent mean? What? Is this the false writings of the prophet or is this the real? <laughs> this is in the Christ object lessons. This is real, written in her time. So here it says, as the will of man cooperates with the will of God, it, the will, becomes omnipotent. Watch this. Whatever is to be done at his command may be accomplished in his strength. Wow. God says to me, Andre, walk before me and be thou perfect. I say, Father, I don't have it in me, but all your biddings are your enablings. If I have a promise like that, what excuse do I have to rebel against God? If I have a promise like that where angels will come at, to my assistance, no matter what the trouble, that God says with every temptation, he makes a way of escape. And that doesn't mean, listen to me, because I've, <laughs> you know, back in the day, I would uh, be about to do something I'm not supposed to do. And I'd be like, Father, if you don't want me to do this, please send someone into the room now. No, it doesn't work that way. The Bible says, submit yourself, therefore, to God. First step. Then resist the devil. And then the devil will flee from you. It's not resist the devil, then submit. It says submit first. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. What does God say about our condition? We are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And then we don't even know that we're that. How is that possible? How is it possible that you can be wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked and have no idea that you are? In order to do that, you have to be loco. <laughs> I've tried to process it and think it through. If somebody is standing in front of you naked and they don't know that they're naked, they have to be crazy. And, and in my mind, as I think, this is the great physician's diagnosis of his church. This is the diagnosis of the people of God at the last hours of his history. The church doesn't realize it doesn't have the righteousness on. They think they do because they have figs. They shine here and there. But everything's not covered. Listen, and I'm just I'm speaking to you as a friend. I'm speaking as a friend because I've been here in this process. I've been in this war and I understand what it is. You cannot hold on to sin. And still expect to make it to heaven. No matter what it is. Not when you have a savior that says, I will provide my strength for you to overcome. Listen, I'm going to be real practical. So now, parents, if you have children and you raise your voice at your children and you don't know how to control your temper, you are not a Christian when you're raising your, your voice. Amen. Husbands and wives, if you're talking to each other and all of a sudden there's this massive argument, you can't even look at each other anymore. Can't look straight. In that moment in time, you have stepped outside of righteousness and you're working in your flesh to solve your own problems. That is not going to make it to the kingdom. Sisters, brothers, souls you ain't married yet and you are engaging in intimate connections before you have made the covenant commitment. And the covenant commitments at the marriage altar, not before the marriage altar. And you engage in that physical activity and then you come to church to try to purify yourself. Listen, that is not going to make it into the kingdom. Purity, holiness, righteousness, which we don't have of ourselves, must come from a divine one. He must make us clean. He must make us clean. If he doesn't make us clean, we're lost. The thing that gets me. I mean, for real, for real, we will seek to live righteously and hate it at the same time. You ever had that problem? Like, okay, I'm not supposed to go to the movies. I'm not supposed to go to the movies. I'm not supposed to go to the movies. And it's like, why are you struggling like that? The reason why you're struggling like that, because you in your flesh are trying to resist the devil. 
You in your flesh are like, I'm not supposed to go to the movies. Stop that. <laughs> Father, I like the movies. <laughs> Father, I have this desire for it, and I need you to help me. Father, I need you to remove it. Give me something else. Give me a desire for your word. That's what we need. We just need to stop playing games. Where's the honesty with God? As if God does not know the realness of what's going on inside of us. So I'm looking at this. God wants to restore man back to his position, back to his position of authority. Now, I want you to see something in Genesis 3, and then I need to stop talking. So apparently it's 50 minutes and 53 seconds that I've been talking. Genesis chapter 3. Watch carefully now in Genesis chapter 3. And we're reading now in verse number 15. And this is after Adam and Eve have eaten of the fruit that God said not to eat of. And verse 15 of Genesis chapter 3 says... I will put, what does it say? Now tell me, what is enmity? Enmity is hatred. So who is saying I? Who is saying that? God. So God is now taking responsibility. He said, I'm going to do it. I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It, the seed, shall bruise thy head or crush thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Interesting. God now takes responsibility of saying, I'm going to put hatred in the heart of the people Uh, for you, Lucifer, for you, Satan. It's not that they will resist it and that will be the end of it. Yes, they will resist it, but they will learn to hate it. Don't you want to get to the point where you hate it? I mean, I want to get to the point where I hate it. I mean, when it comes to me, I'll just be like, what? No, I can't believe the devil came with that again. I want to get to the point where I hate it, where I naturally, when it comes, I have nothing there that responds to it. This is the condition. Great controversy said. This is the condition which must be found for those who will stand to the time of trouble. The devil came, John 14, 30. The devil came to tempt Jesus and could find nothing in Jesus that responded to temptation. Great controversy says that condition that Jesus was in when the devil came and found no response is the condition in which must be found those who will stand to the last great conflict. Then if that's the condition that we must have, then God must do a miracle. Is that right? He must work this miracle in my heart. So he will put enmity in my heart for the things of the devil. But mind you, watch now. He will give the seed. Who's the seed? Who's the seed? How do you know Jesus is the seed? Go to Galatians. Galatians chapter 3. And we're reading now in verse number 16. Galatians chapter 3, verse 16. The Bible says, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is who? So Christ is the seed. Now watch, watch. Watch 1 John, 1 John, 1 John chapter 3. Let me just ask, just to make sure everyone's on the same page. Who's the seed? All right, very good. 1 John chapter 3, I want us now to begin reading at verse number 7. And we can read the whole chapter, but we just don't have time for that. Verse 7 says, little children... Let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is what? Righteous. Even as he is righteous, he that committeth sin is of who, my friends? The devil. For the devil sinned from the beginning. For this purpose. What purpose? For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin for his, what does it say? For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is what? So this is very simple rationale in my mind. If I find myself sinning, it is because I have removed the seed from my heart. In order to rebel against God, I must remove him from control in my heart so I can do what I want to do. That's the honest truth. 
I must remove the seed, place him over here and say, okay, now let's go party. Let's go do what I got to do. Let's do it. And I'll come back when I feel better. And Father, I'm so sorry. I should never have done this. That's what we do. But if the seed remains, you don't have to sin. If the seed remains, you don't have to. So now what happens? Now watch carefully. What happens is the devil, when he tempts, Listen, if you can understand how temptation works, you're going to be perfectly safe. Watch this. This is temptation. Plus your desire. Equals conception. Which is sin. Sin bringing forth death. This is all James. So the devil's going to do what he does right here. That's what he does all day. So what has to happen is. God must change my desire for sin and he must give me enmity. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You see, if you don't have two, you can't have this one. It takes two to make a baby. So if you can remove this in connection with this, this will never come. So what I need then, I need my desires to change. That's why the Bible says, be transformed by the Renewing of your mind. But how can your mind be renewed if you don't have your eyes fixed on the one that can renew it? The secret is in the beholding. See, the, man, the devil is so sneaky, man. So he, he puts on, you know, it seems like all this stuff comes from California. I don't know. So you got your, <laughs> you got your Kardashian person that's over here. You got your L.A. Lakers, Los Angeles Clippers, Golden State Warriors. You got your Raiders. You got your, I don't know, so you got the 49ers. You got, you got all this distraction. You got, you got all your TV shows, all your, all your Hollywood. And the whole thing is, all they're trying to do is get your attention. They're just trying to get your attention. But if you understand the one thing that you need to get your eyes fixed on is Jesus in the most holy place, then those things that are trying to get your attention, you would understand what the object of that is. The object of them trying to get your attention is so that you can go ahead and sin. But if you redirect your eyes and behold the man of God, behold Jesus in his loveliness, in his purity, in his righteousness, in his altogether his loveliness, then you will find yourself loving what you used to hate. You will, I'm telling you, you don't believe me. Back in the day, I'm 37 years old now, so some of you may know who these are. Um, Mary J. Blige, uh, Black Street, 112, where the players dwell. Uh, y'all know none of these people? Um, back in the day, those are the, the, you know, the hip-hop music. That's what I love to listen to. I would get in the mode, man. I could even write my own music. I, write, I mean, that was my thing. And then I found a book called Desire of Ages. Anybody know about that book? And those who are canvassers, you know, it's the number one book in the Library of Congress on the Life of Christ out of the 10,000 books they do have, right? I started reading that book. Many times before, I tried to stop doing all these bad things. Couldn't stop doing it. So I started reading this book, Desire of Ages. Started beholding the man Jesus like I've never seen him before. And one day, I just happened to realize I hadn't listened to that music in months. It wasn't like, I need to be Christian. It was more like I saw Jesus and I didn't even realize that I didn't do that stuff anymore. And when I had stopped and looked, I said, yo, I might as well break these. I don't even listen to this no more. And I remember having this break party in front of my sisters. And I would take, <laughs> I would take each CD and I'm like, Psh, and they were like, no. And I'm like, sisters, we must destroy all these idols. But that only came, that only came because I beheld the man Jesus. It's not complicated, friends. It's not complicated. You behold him, you become like him. You keep looking, your temper goes away. You keep beholding him and surrendering. He gives you the ability to control your temper. He gives you the ability to control your appetite. You keep looking. He gives you the ability to control your thought process. You keep looking. Pornography doesn't have a hold on you. You keep looking. Your finances come into play. You keep looking. Every facet of your life starts coming into place. And at the end of the day, you can give glory only to God. By beholding, friends, we become changed. 
by beholding him. Last verse, Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16. I want you to pay attention to the tense of the verse. Beginning in verse 20. Romans chapter 16 and beginning at verse 20. The Bible says, And the God of peace shall bruise Satan or crush Satan under your feet shortly. That was a baffling verse. Whose feet are they going to be crushed under? Okay, so mind you, just follow the logic. The Bible says that Christ is the head of the what? The church. So Christ is the head of the church, and the church is the body. So what God needs is a body that cooperates with the head in order to crush the head of who? You see, the church, for some reason, has been functioning without the head. And because the church has been functioning without the head, the serpent still slithers and does what he does. But when the church cooperates with the head, then all things will be placed under the power of the church. And the church will, by its, by its submission to the head, crush the devil and finish this work. There is a part to play. You know what the part is? Very simple. You must submit. That's it. I have nothing more to say. So I'm going to make an appeal. There are some in this room that have knowingly, willingly broken God's heart and broken his law. You know without question that you are not with Christ right now. You know without question that you are not with Christ right now. And today, right now, you want to remedy that. You want to come to Jesus. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. You know that you're not with Christ right now. And you want to come to Jesus. I just want want you to raise your hand if you're in this room. Father, you see the hands that are raised. There's a recognition of the condition, Father. You see the weakness of our ability to do the right thing. And we recognize that we don't have that ability of our natural selves. So I pray for those who have raised their hands right now, Lord. I pray, Father, that you come near to them and show them your dear son, Jesus. That when it's all said and done, Father, that you can raise them into a pure and holy atmosphere. Take their hearts, for they cannot give them. They are your property. Keep them, for they cannot keep them themselves. And save them from their weak, unchristlike selves, Father. Please. We're so tired of sin. We're so tired. For that's why you say, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Please grant them this peace and rest right now, Father. My second appeal. For those who have been walking in the light, but know you must come to higher ground. And today you are making the decision by standing, saying there is no excuse for sin. If that's your desire and your decision, that there is no excuse for sin and you are going to allow God to take over your life, I want you to stand with me now. Father in heaven, you've heard our prayer. We want to be more holy. We want to be like Jesus. We want to be Christians, not from the outside only, Father. But we want to be Christians from the inside out. We don't want the devil to have any dominion over us. We don't want them to have any joy in his temptations in our direction, Lord. Father, we want you to take us, but we cannot keep ourselves. Please do for us what we cannot do for ourselves, Father. 
And as we behold Jesus and as the world grows strangely dim, please remind us and keep us and help us to realize that all good things come from you. I pray for those who are struggling, Father. I pray for those who have addictions, who are fighting hand-to-hand combat with the enemy. I pray that you deliver them, Father. Give them the assurances of your word and of your promises. Help us to take the promises that you've given. There is no temptation, Father. You are willing to give every angel. There is no reason to break your heart. Help us to behold you, we pray. All these things in the name of Jesus and we claim the merits of his holy and most precious blood. Amen.